0: You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. Actually uh, coming live from uh, Banff this week. John, you're still uh, stuck back in Vancouver?
1: Yes, I didn't get to go to the on the road trip.
0: <laughs> Next time. Get Connected, uh, Canada's number one tech radio show. We've got a great program for you today. Uh, We will be chatting about Netflix. Their stock is plummeting because they actually lost subscribers in this past quarter. First time in 10 years. We'll also be chatting about Clearview. That is the face recognition company that scrapes all the social media sites for everyone's faces in the world and sells it to law enforcement. Well, that same technology is being used to identify The dead in Ukraine. We're going to talk about uh, how that all works and some of the implications uh, of that. And uh, Twitter and NFTs. We have spoken about NFTs in the past. It's still kind of a a mystery to many people. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. But we'll uh, be chatting about Jack Dorsey's first tweet. He's the uh, founder of Twitter back in the day. He minted an NFT that had his uh, first tweet ever put out on Twitter Sold it for uh, a cool $2.8 million. How did that fare? Did the buyer make any money? Well, you'll be surprised to hear the answer. And uh, John, uh, we're also going to be talking about uh, a cool little game machine called Playdate that I think works with a a hand crank.
1: It does, yes.
0: Good for the kids, right? Make them earn their, their, their screen time.
1: Yeah, I don't think too many kids are buying this one. though.
0: No. Okay, well, we'll be chatting about that as well. Let's uh, go through some of the tech news, uh, John. Uh, Some interesting stuff uh, this week. Uh, Tesla in the news again. And this was kind of interesting. Uh, It looks like going forward, if you purchase a Tesla, they'll no longer include the mobile charger that you usually get. Uh, This has been a standard item on Teslas, and I think every other electric vehicle out there. It basically allows you to plug your car into uh, a regular 110 volt uh, outlet but they're doing away with that you'll have to purchase it separately what do you think john
1: i think that's kind of crazy but presumably they have some kind of stats to to identify the fact that a lot of people aren't using it because they're relying on the supercharger network which is extensive and plentiful um but also you know there's quite a lot of level two chargers around too but it's just interesting that you know for a premium vehicle like the Tesla, to take away something so basic, especially for an electric vehicle, to not give you a charger is just kind of weird.
0: I think so. You know, it looks like he's trying to take a page out of Apple's book. You know, they stopped uh, including the charging block with their iPhones. which well, saved- Do you
1: remember the original iPhones? They came in like these glamorous boxes, like something you got at the Oscars or something yeah. like that. <laughs> And then over time, they slowly got more and more basic and more environmentally friendly, and that type of thing. So I get that approach, but this is an electric vehicle. How are you going to charge it at home, unless you buy something separate? Or, well, you know, that's, maybe that's it's something thing, that when you, when you get it from Tesla, well, like, it's not like a normal dealer network either, where you can just get them to throw it in.
0: No, they they don't do that at Tesla. It, I I see it working for. The, iPhones, John, and, and even I know all the other companies are copying Apple with this as well, because how many charging blocks do we have in our drawers? Like phones have been around for a long time. They've all kind of, you know, vaguely standardized either on a lightning connector on the iPhone side or USB-C. So, you know, I've got drawers full of these things, but it's not like people have drawer full drawers full of um, EV chargers. No. No.
1: Especially one specifically to Tesla, because Tesla is, is unique and different than the other ones like my Kia uses a very different connector than your Kia than your Tesla does
0: so if you do want one 200 bucks I think that's us pricing as well yeah and Elon uh, is basically saying no one's using them that's why they're doing away with them I doubt that
1: well it's also it's also a nice thing to have in your car because what if you're going away like to an Airbnb or something for the weekend yeah that doesn't have Uh, a nearby charger. That's one of the nice things I like about mine. I can just throw it in the trunk and I don't have to worry about it.
0: Exactly. Speaking of Elon, uh, this was kind of interesting. He uh, basically says that he just couch surfs after selling all his worldly possessions, including homes. So when he's traveling like to the Bay area, San Francisco, he's just sleeping on friends' couches. He doesn't have a
1: house. I wonder if he hitchhikes too.
0: (laughs) No, he did say he does have a private jet. But he needs that so he can work more hours.
1: Right. Yeah, well, I think I think it's a safe assumption that we've all agreed that Elon's a bit different. Yes. But, you know, clearly possessions are not important to him. He's, he's doing his thing, and his thing is, you know, arguably pretty cool. He's worth
0: close to $334 billion Canadian, John. Maybe a condo, you know, in some of the <laughs> the key cities he works in. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it it, it kind of boggles the mind. But you hear all these stories about these rich homeless people too, right? Like, it's not because they don't have access to the funding. It's just because it's not a priority to them. It,
0: it's a little weird.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot weird.
0: Uh, Moving on, talking about uh, the latest tech stories here on Get Connected. Uh, This is up your alley, John. You're you're into 3D printing. Honda lashing out at 3D printers. What's this all about?
1: Yeah, this is a very bizarre thing that uh, it's kind of been bubbling up this past week in the 3D printing space where Honda basically sent a cease and desist in Europe to one of the largest uh, sort of uh, archives of 3D printable files. And they the the site actually remove anything with the name Honda in the description or the title of the print file, which is a bit overreaching because, you know, I could make a Honda keychain, and arguably that's Honda's intellectual property. It's their logo, but you know, I'm also doing this because I'm a fan of the product. But also, a lot of people created very unique and specific. Uh, 3d printable parts that would give you extra functionality that would give you, that would repair something that was broken that was too expensive to replace or unavailable to replace the whole idea that a company like Honda could say, get rid of all of those things is just ridiculous and and pretty much an overreach of the, you know, intellectual property rules. As far as I can tell from what I've read,
0: it's not like you're going to print out a a carburetor or an engine block. No, it's like no the and washer even if you fluid could, cap.
1: Even if you could, you're not gonna do that on a on a desktop machine that yeah these, these files are intended for. They're not intended for an industrial factory where you know somebody's cranking out copies of a Honda Civic.
0: <laughs> you're not at that level yet, John?
1: Well You're at I the keychain level. Ironically though, I, I I did a tour of Ford's 3D printing in, uh, facilities in uh, in Michigan a couple of years ago and I was kind of very giddy about the fact that I was able to 3D print an engine block at home in a very small scale, like a something that fit in the palm of your hand. And I showed it to the, the head of the, the, uh, the, the department. and He was kind of horrified. He had no idea that someone inside Ford had released that file out to the public. And it was publicly available from Ford. Wow. But again, it's not like you can use that for anything really useful.
0: No. <laughs> go Honda. Uh, this is another uh, interesting um, thing that people should be aware of, John. Uh, there is a uh, a very convincing Windows eleven upgrade website that has really nasty malware.
1: Yeah, this is this is. I mean, this problem is never going to go away, unfortunately, and um, you should only trust. Legitimate sources for any kind of software, let alone an operating system upgrade.
0: So, if you do go to this website, it uh, potentially injects malware uh, into your computer to steal browsing data and also cryptocurrency wallets, which could be concerning. People could actually lose money from this.
1: Well, yeah, I mean that's just a that's an easy untraceable way, but they could also get access to your, like you said, browsing history and your bank credentials.
0: Well, always make sure that uh, you're going directly to the uh, the Microsoft site. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, still a lot to, to talk about. Netflix stock lost billions of dollars in value, all because they've lost subscribers for the first time in 10 years. We're going to go over why this is happening and uh, what the future looks like for them. You're listening to Get Connected. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. So much more to talk about still. Uh, We'll be chatting about Clearview later. The facial recognition tool that the folks over in Ukraine are using to identify the dead. We'll talk about some of the implications of that. Uh, And a bad investment in NFTs. Uh, An original tweet from Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter. Sold it originally for $2.8 million. Now guess how much it's worth. We'll uh, give you the lowdown on that. Uh, John, let's talk about Netflix. Uh, this is kind of interesting because uh, we went back and forth on whether we should do a segment on this. But John, I, I've had so many interviews with uh, national TV and, and other radio stations about this. They, they, they all seem to think this is a big deal. Netflix basically losing over 200,000 subscribers this quarter, the first time in 10 years. They were uh, projected to do close to 2 million new subscribers and that didn't happen. Is this a, a big deal, John?
1: Well, I'm sure it is to Netflix if they spend billions of dollars on new content. But yeah. you know, the reality is they have a lot of competition now and people are fickle and they'll just go where the good content is. They don't care who owns it.
0: Do you think it's kind of a perfect storm, really? Uh, you know, I, I imagine their numbers and, and all the um, streaming services must have gone up during the pandemic. Because what are you going to do when you're locked in your home? You're probably going to watch shows. And so I can I can see how that's gone up. But as we're slowly coming out of uh, the COVID-19 mess, uh, I imagine people aren't spending as much time in front of their TVs.
1: No, they're making up for lost time. Yeah. But there's also other things that are interesting because it really depends on where people value their streaming services. A lot of fuss was made about the fact that uh, Apple TV, who was probably one of the newest kids on the block as far as streaming services go, they got an Oscar for a movie that that they produced. Netflix has yet to hit that milestone, and they've been at it for 10 years. So um, again... It's it's where the good content is. I remember. Do you remember when Amazon Prime first started doing video? Yes. And how awful it was. It was like you know the (laughs) discount bin at the dollar store of VHS tape content.
0: Not even a DVD, but VHS
1: tape. Absolutely. Yeah. But now you know they've they've sort of hit their stride, and then we've got Disney sort of swallowing up all the giant uh, franchises it's it's a it's a tough place to compete but like we've talked about in the past streaming services are expensive you have to pick and choose which ones you're gonna watch and if you've already consumed everything that Netflix has ever made during the pandemic well why would you keep paying for it and, and pay for something else for a while and then can maybe come back to it when there's a compelling show that you want to watch
0: well that's you know that's the thing John uh, I think a lot of people are getting subscription fatigue uh, you know I'm I I think I'm up at $100 a month in different subscriptions, you know, to, uh, you know, TV and, and music streaming services. Uh, I, they actually did a survey about Netflix's price, and more than 70% of people th- thought it shouldn't be more than $10. Of course, right? Because that's what it was originally. But, you know, it's hitting up at 20 bucks. And so some of the other things that they're looking at now, and their competition is going this route, is a lower tier price but it's ad supported basically commercials. You'd have commercials in your Netflix feed in the shows and movies you're so
1: watching So cable TV. basically. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what is old is new again. And so, you know, they've taught, I've, I've seen, you know, I've been reading up on this, uh, you know, $5 us is kind of a price that's being thrown around a lot right now for that, that sweet spot that they think they could get more subscribers and make money selling commercials as well. Uh, HBO Max, they do that down in the States with their streaming service. Disney apparently is going to go down that road as well to have an ad supported I think they're
1: going to have to because like you said, subscription payment fatigue at least. Um, But it's interesting too, there was also that stat about there's about 100 million people worldwide that aren't even paying for Netflix, but they're watching it because they're sharing passwords. So they're looking at trying to crack down on that more. But
0: how much is that going to get them, John? So, yeah, that's a real thing. Because I look in my family, and again, I hope Netflix isn't listening. Uh, I've got one of their up, upper packages. You know, I think it's around 20 bucks a month. Um, and it allows me to have four streams going at any one time. And I get 4K, Ultra HD, quality content. Um, but I think I'm, I'm not really using it the way I'm supposed to. Because I originally got it because there was five of us at home. My wife, myself, and our three kids but now all of those three kids have left the home. They've grown up. They've got their own places. Yet, they still are using my Netflix account. <laughs> so I'm one of these degenerates, I think, that's included that in that 100 million people. You know what Daddy I mean? has to cut
1: off the allowance.
0: Well, so they're, they're actually doing trials down in Central America. Uh, I think Chile is one of these countries where they're going to make their subscribers down there pay more for additional people outside of their household. So right so now I think gonna, the price is around like two or $3 us for each additional person.
1: Right. But so they're going to basically geolocate to one IP address basically at a time per account.
0: Yeah. I don't know how well that's going to work, John. So when they say a hundred million people are, are sharing passwords, do you think a hundred million people there, if they crack down tomorrow, do you think a hundred million people are actually going to start paying the two to 300 or two, $2 to three dollars a month extra,
1: 99 million people will start pirating TV shows <laughs> exactly. It's the
0: same if argument they're not that you, already. the music industry said they're losing billions of dollars because of pirated music. Yeah, I no, don't think they were. Gonna, I mean, they it's were losing move money. The needle.
1: It's, it's just them basically blaming the, the stock drop, yes, and the subscriber drop, yeah, because their stock dropped
0: 37%. What was that like, 54 billion? <laughs> in market value.
1: Yeah, it was a like, lot. It's it's a lot.
0: So, the future, we're going to see more ad-supported tiers to a lot of these streaming services, and I think we're going to start seeing bundling. I don't know if you saw John Tell us, they've bundled Netflix, Discovery Plus and Apple TV Plus in like I did a $25 see that. Yeah. price package, which is cheaper than if you bought those separately.
1: Right. Except for I already get Apple TV with my Apple One. Yeah, subscription so it's like can, can i can i do a replacement yeah Substitution. so and
0: it's only available to their subscribers so are they subsidizing it in some way i don't know and discovery plus how many people want that nobody you no know, people want netflix maybe they want apple plus because there's some good shows if they but you're right john if you've got an apple device or purchased apple devices regularly you get that free anyway right
1: or or yeah or it's if you've got, you got the it, yeah.
0: the Apple subscription, you know, the big one, the Apple one, then you get it there as well. Okay, we're gonna have to take a break. When we come back, we're talking about Clearview. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Eggerbo here with John Beeler. Clearview, this is a uh, a company that's been around for a few years now. Many, many law enforcement agencies around the world use their services. Essentially, they have created a massive massive database of pictures, millions upon millions, billions of pictures, in fact, of everyone around the world. Their software basically scrapes all the social media sites, Instagrams, Facebooks, what have you, to get people's faces and their identifi- uh, identities are tied to those faces. And so the advantage to law enforcement is if they're looking for someone, maybe they've got a picture from a security cam of a guy robbing a convenience store, they will run that face through this software and try to get a match.
1: It's just like right out of a Jason Bourne movie. (laughs) Totally. So,
0: you know, on one hand, John, I, I see the value to law enforcement. There's no question but there are huge, huge privacy implications. And it's a problem here in Canada. I know that the RCMP or some of the detachments were using it, but I think it ran afoul of Canadian privacy laws like because people haven't given their consent to have their faces in this database, essentially.
1: Well, and then Clearview's argument is, well, you uploaded it to a public social media site.
0: They're not wrong. No, they're not. No.
1: Because most of the time when you're using Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, and you upload a photo, you've agreed to their terms of service, which means those photos and images are available to anybody that can access them. Even if you're private, even if your account is private, it's still not really private because it can still be accessed on the back end through services that might have access to the back ends of those systems.
0: So another worry is that some authoritarian governments use this software to go after dissidents. Uh, BBC did a story about China looking at using the software to go after journalists. That's worrying. Uh, so, I mean, the technology can be used for evil. So in Ukraine right now, they're using this software to identify the dead bodies. I mean, it's it's horrible. You know, obviously there's a lot of tragedy there, uh, but there's a lot of bodies that are haven't been identified. So they're basically taking pictures of the faces of uh, of the bodies and, and running it through the software with some success, apparently.
1: Well, I mean, again, just using sort of like the law and order or uh, TV analogies that we see a lot of times is they'd have to go for dental records to get that, right? Yeah. Like this seems like a much more efficient way of tracking down these people and getting their remains back to their families or... Um, the, the you know, proper resting places at least and knowing who they were.
0: They used one example uh, uh, of uh, a body they had and they ran it through the system and it showed them, obviously it matches to some social media photos. Um, and the body did have like a tattoo on, on one of the shoulders and they could see in the photo of one of these social media photos that they had scraped that it was the same tattoo. So they're able to identify that particular person Quite clearly, so the company says they have ninety nine percent accuracy. I don't know, it, you know. Obviously, every company's going <laughs> to say that they're, yeah. they're stupendous and wonderful, uh, but you know, I just wonder how accurate it truly is. And you know, on on dead bodies, you know, if it if they've decomposed, I hate talking about this. It's it's awful, but how accurately can it work on that?
1: It, yeah, that photo that's being taken on 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 the ground in, in the Ukraine is not going to be as clean and nice as whatever their social media post photo would have been. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And no, I mean, if their software can discern that, or at least narrow the narrow, the leads that it could possibly be that would, you yeah. know, I think that's actually a use for good. Yeah. But, you know, like you said, it is kind of a morbid uh, undertaking, but, um, but the reality is, is that this software does exist. And in most cases, people had no idea it existed, nor gave their consent for it
0: but John didn't i mean years ago didn't you see it going this way, really? Like when we have so much for life on Facebook and Instagram, and I think Facebook even toyed around with having face recognition built in well,
1: they 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 did they yeah. did for a while where if you uploaded a photo it would it would even it would auto kind of suggest who it thinks it was from your contact list, yeah. And even people that weren't in your contact list, it would even try to guess who they were because it's using your lists as well as, you know, thousands of other people's lists, sort of to triangulate who this person might be who might not even be on Facebook. Yeah. Or they were on Facebook at one point in time, but now they're not. But it still figured out that, hey, maybe that's Joe.
0: I, I you know, I don't know what the answer here, John, is. Uh I think the genie has left the bottle, so to speak. So unless governments start legislating some sort of privacy when it comes to faces. I, I, well, the, I don't know.
1: The, the, the thing that gets really interesting though, is with these companies like Clearview, Facebook and others, they're all in one country. Yeah. But everyone's using the technologies that they're harvesting from. Right. So yep. um, the rules of Facebook Canada might be different than the rules of Facebook USA and Clearview has to, I adhere to those rules in those countries. But also, like, I, I'm kind of curious, what photos do they have of me? I know what I've uploaded and what's public, but I'm just curious how much of, let's say I uploaded 100 photos in my life to one of these services, how many of those photos does Clearview actually have in their database? I should be able to go and see what the database shows about me and let me opt out.
0: That's the dream. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, here in Canada, uh, Clearview AI, they've been ordered to comply with recommendations to stop collecting, sharing images from different privacy commissioners in uh, several different provinces here. So, um,
1: yeah. Well, that's that's fine if I'm at home and uploading from Vancouver. What if I'm in California on a vacation and my friends are taking pictures of me there and uploading it to their American accounts that don't fall into those privacy guidelines? And tagging you? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Or even if they're not tagging you, you'll, your face will still come up. Absolutely. And, and they can track it to that person and upload it. And yeah, <sighs> Crazy times. But really. you're
1: right. The genie is out of the bottle. And can we put a lid on it?
0: We're going to have to take a break here and get connected. When we come back, we're going to be talking about NFTs. We've talked about it many times on this program. It's still confusing for a lot of people. But some people are making a lot of money. And some people are losing money. We'll talk about an NFT of one of the first tweets and where it stands now. Back after this. You are back with the program. Mike and John here. We're going to chat about NFTs, non-fungible tokens. John, do you want to explain it in as plain English as possible (laughs) for the listeners who are still trying to figure this out, including myself?
1: Well, I mean, if you think about an NFT as basically being a collectible or a piece of art, and by collectible or piece of art, it can be anything. It can be a photo, it can be a video, it can be music. It can be, in this case, as we're gonna be talking about, just a tweet. And generally what happens is people put these things up for auction and people can bid on them. And you know, sometimes you'll get just a purely digital thing. Sometimes you get the digital thing and maybe some something else, like a personalized message from the person that created it, or other things like that. It's kind of like like a limited edition box set that you're buying. And people pay with cryptocurrency for these things. And the idea is that despite the fact that anyone can view these things and make copies of them, you're you're the only one that actually owns it. So there's that intrinsic ownership value of that thing. And because of that fact, a lot of people are interested in this as a way of using their cryptocurrency as an investment tool.
0: It's interesting because they're also talking about using this for kind of, I think, more applicable real world applications, like tickets, for example, in the future. So instead of like buying a a printed out ticket or getting, you know, an email with a link to a a ticket, uh, they would mint an NFT for that ticket that would be authenticating that ticket to get into a concert or football game.
1: Right. Because the big problem with a lot of collectibles is the fact that there is no sort of chain of ownership or authenticity other than a, a document that somebody wrote on and signed, maybe stamped those kinds of things. Whereas if it's an NFT on the blockchain, it actually has a, uh, a publicly viewable sort of contract and you can see who's all involved in that thing. And like we talked about previously about NFTs, one of the nice things about NFTs for the creators of the item, uh, for collecting is you have the ability to build in an automatic sort of contract, uh, addition to it. So that if I draw a picture and I sell that picture as an NFT to you, Mike, I get my commission or a a percentage of that. If you then send, sell that NFT to somebody else, I can build into that original contract and I'm always going to get a cut of those future sales
0: like 10%, for example, or whatever,
1: whatever, whatever percent I want. Yeah. And that basically is a more logical and legal chain of ownership as well as compensation for the original creator of that item.
0: So Jack Dorsey, he was one of the founders of Twitter and he minted an NFT of his first tweet ever on Twitter Last year. And it was bought by an Iranian crypto investor. He, he purchased it for $2.8 million. Which just kind of blew my mind.
1: Right. He literally bought a tweet.
0: <laughs> anyway, he tried also- selling it again, John. He put it up for auction on um, a website called OpenSea. This is where a lot of NFTs are sold. And... You know, the top bid was at the end, which he, he didn't take.
1: <laughs> I do $280.
0: He wanted $48 million, John. $280. Yeah. There's a bit of a gap there.
1: A little bit. Yeah. But that's also, it proves the point with the collectibles market is the value of the item is whatever the market will bear. Yeah. And clearly people weren't that jazzed to buy that NFT of of, of the first tweet he was because he was looking at flipping it and he yeah. flipped it very quickly. So, um, probably should have flipped d- it sooner. <laughs> <sighs> well, the, the thing is, is that these things don't have a, uh, a, a historical valuation added yeah. to them because there's, are still very new and everyone's still figuring this all out and how it works and how to value things. So, you know, there's been lots of examples of people buying NFTs and then selling them for extraordinary amounts of money. Um, But not everything is as collectible. Maybe if you lived and work in social media and you really care about Twitter as a platform for, um, for what you do and you're successful at it, maybe this tweet would be valuable to you, but there's probably not a lot of people. And I sound like the guy on Pawn Stars, you know, there's not, not a lot of people looking at, buying this particular collectible. So they have to have really deep pockets to want to spend that money on that tweet versus this guy who was basically just an investor. He was just looking to flip it. He didn't have any kind of connection to the tweet. Yeah. If you will.
0: Other than he's a speculator hoping to make money on this.
1: Right. And he still might, you know, he didn't accept the $280, but he still could (laughs) sell the tweet for more later on, you just might have to give it a little bit of time.
0: God. Yeah. Can you imagine John though, you bought this thing for 2.8 million and you try to sell it and all you're being offered is like $280. Probably had a small heart attack.
1: But I also wonder if people were sort of just writing him because it was such an outrageous amount that he was asking for Like it's not like it had, you know, quadrupled in size or something like that. It, like It was still the same tweet, and it had only been a little bit while after it was originally sold, so there's not enough enough time for it to appreciate and value as dramatically as he was asking for.
0: We're going to have to take another break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a new little uh, handheld indie game machine, John. Uh, I know you're big into the handheld, so uh, we'll get your thoughts about it. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. John, uh, I came across this story about a new little handheld gaming machine, and I know you were big into these little handhelds where you can play some of the old retro games. Uh, This one's called Playdate, and it actually has a little hand crank on it. Is that to to wind it up, to give it some juice?
1: No, it's actually uh, a control mechanism. Oh,
0: okay. I thought this was just like a, a thing you never have to charge, but I was completely wrong.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, that's actually a lot of people thought that. Um, but this is the this is a really cool um, little device from uh, Panic. They're a software company. They they make a lot of uh, really interesting um, apps for the Mac, and they're just a really fun creative company. I've actually had the chance to be in their offices a few times in Portland, uh, Oregon, and they partnered with uh, a video game publisher and made some really cool uh, software uh, for this piece of hardware, which was actually designed by a company called Teenage Engineering. They make a lot of really interesting synthesizer te- te- technology that I love as well. And, you know, a couple interesting notes about this thing. It's quite small, and it actually has a black and white screen and a mono speaker.
0: And it's not backlit either. It's just using the the, the light. <laughs> Yeah, That's around you. So you're not playing this in the dark.
1: No, this isn't going to be a Nintendo Switch killer or a, 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 a Steam Deck or anything like that. But what's interesting is the, the sort of the model behind this is more about gameplay and interesting games and also a way to get them. So it actually launches with 24 games built into the into the system. But they're very basic. There's like a little D-pad and two buttons, an A and B button, and then the hand crank. So just very interesting game mechanics that are possible because of the limited user interface controls. Um, but also just a really quirky little device.
0: Do you want one? It's 180 bucks us. That's a lot of money.
1: It, it is a lot of money. And I'll be honest, I did really, really want one when they first announced this. And this has been coming, I think since the beginning of the, before the pandemic. Um, but they're sold out until 2023
0: right now. <laughs> Crazy. Okay, that's about all the time we have left here on Get Connected. Don't forget to listen to our sister show, the app show. It's on every Sunday across the country on the Course Radio Network. On tomorrow's uh, show, we'll be talking about Google. They've got a new secret iOS app to help you switch to Android. We'll also be looking at uh, a free app that makes iPads easier to use for people with hand tremors, like Parkinson's disease. It's, it's really amazing. And uh, something called Scammy Mac Apps that force users to pay for subscriptions. We'll tell you how to uh, not fall into that trap. I want to thank everyone that helps put the program together, including uh, my good friend John and uh, Robin back at the studio. We'll see you again next time.